This is the Baymo Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we examine the message of Hosea, as depicted in the prophetic theater of his own life, through his marriage to the prostitute Gomer. Yeah. We continue through our look at the pre-Assyrian prophets we had uh, in our last podcast with the Amos. And we got one more to which audience, Brent? To Israel. To Israel. That's right. We got two more that are going to be to Judah in the pre-Assyrian time period. But Amos and Hosea are two prophets that are speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, in the last podcast, we talked about how every prophet seemed to have a what, Brent? An image. An image, a picture that drives their prophecy. Uh, for Amos, what was it? It was the plumb line. Plumb line. Extra credit. Can you remember the second one? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was looking up something about plumb line when you were talking yeah. about that, so I wasn't really listening. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for pictures. Yeah, ripe fruit is the other, oh, yes. the other image that comes up there. But plumb line is Amos's image. And Hosea had, uh, I think I said in the last podcast... Sometimes these images were just a, a literary device that the prophet would use to paint a picture. And sometimes these images were like real life theater. And Hosea had prophetic theater in his life. Um, God gave him the task. It just depends on how you read it. Like, how did this really go? Did God really tell him he had to marry a prostitute? Did Hosea fall in love with a prostitute? Did How did this all work? Did he get the idea? We don't We don't necessarily know. But as the prophecy tells it, God instructs Hosea to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. So that's how the prophecy begins. Kind of the, we have like 14 chapters here in Hosea. Um, the first three tell the story. There's a backstory to Hosea that sets up the, it sets the stage for the rest of the prophecy throughout the rest of the book. Uh, so chapter one here explains what happens. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Be'eri, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So God says, Hosea, your life, your physical life is going to be a picture, uh, a canvas on which I paint the story of my people. And my people have been unfaithful to me. So I want you to go find uh, a woman who's going to be unfaithful to you, and we're going to tell the story through this picture. Not a very fun job, if you ask me. But the Lord said to Hosea, call him, uh, she bore him a son. That's where we left off. The Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the uh, house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And in that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Jezreel uh, can mean scattered. Um, a couple different things you can do there, but to scatter seems to be um, the the implication there. Uh, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, call her Loruchamah, for I will no longer show love. It means it means not loved is what that name means. Nice name to be given when you were born. Not loved. That's your name. God says, call her not loved because I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah and I will save them not by bow, sword, or battle, but by 
horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, Gomer had another son, and the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people. This is fantastic, wonderful names. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place in which it was said of them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And the people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited, and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So so the stage is set, and Hosea has a pretty rough job, and God says, we're going to tell the story through your real-life theater, so to speak, your real-life experience. But he also gives him like this little glimmer of hope. He says, uh, this is all going to come back around. Like, you're not my people, and you're not loved, but you're going to be, because you're going to be like Sands of the Seashore, and you're going to be reunited. This is all going to work out in the end, but it's going to be a mess in the middle. And chapter two, we're going to come back to chapter two a little bit later, but chapter two is kind of the poetic mess in the middle where you have a husband. Yeah, he was, yeah, God was obviously mad. Name your children, not my people and not loved. Modern translation might be hashtag not my people. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, so, but there's also this angst. You hear this lover who's also jealous for his wife in chapter two. And so you have uh, you have the anger, you have the frustration, you have this adultery, but you also have, you have this husband that, that yearns and longs for his marriage to be restored. And that's chapter two. And so then we bump into chapter three. Uh, the Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves Israel, Through they, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. This sounds like it might be which, which source here, Brent? Oh, well, this sounds a little bit more idolatry focused. Yeah, yeah. It sounds maybe like we got a little bit of source A here. Might be able to chalk this one up to source A. I don't think completely up to source A, but we're not done yet. But we'll find out. We'll find out. And raisin cakes, I, I guess those are good, right? I don't yeah. Know. Well, especially when they're sacred, right? If they were sacred cinnamon rolls, <laughs> I'd probably be right there with them. Yeah. Uh, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a, a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. So that, the first three chapters tell us about Hosea's life and sets the stage for the prophecy, the poetic prophecy that's going to come out of this, uh, this real-life theater, out of the stage that his life sets for his prophecy. So you actually have some chapter four. Do you want to read it to us? Uh, yeah, starting right in verse one. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. Okay, so God's going to bring a charge. So let's go back and we'll play this game again. We already kind of said we got a little bit more source A here. I mean, Amos was just straight up source B. Like there was very little idolatry talk. It was about justice. We have a justice problem. Hosea is casting this in light of a marriage and adultery and idolatry very much go together. They even went together in the Ten Commandments as far as their parallel. So it feels kind of source A-ish, but is there is there any indication that their idolatry is actually linked to justice. Go ahead and keep reading. See if this is about idols or if this is about people. 
All right, so this is God speaking. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Sounds like people to me. Adultery, lying, stealing, murder, bloodshed. Sounds like people. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge, let no one accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother, my people are destroyed, from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Oh man, there's supposed to be a kingdom of what, Brent? Of priests. Okay. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. Okay, so the priests feed on the sins of the people and relish wickedness. Sounds just like people. I'm not getting clear idolatry. There's more idolatry here. But it sounds like this idolatry is connected. And one of the things I think I'm trying to point out here is we don't have to bifurcate this. We don't have to separate, is it idolatry or is it people, as if the two aren't connected. And we're definitely going to see that as we continue to walk through the prophets. In fact, our next prophet, Micah, is just going to seamlessly connect idolatry and people. Idolatry and people. People and idolatry. And why we engage in idolatry is because we're trying to take advantage of people. And we don't like the narrative of God because if we were to truly engage in true worship of God, we'd have to take care of people. And so these two things are intimately connected, but go ahead and keep reading. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat, but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution, but not flourish because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Old wine and new wine take away their understanding. My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters turn to prostitution, and your daughters-in-law to adultery. All right, we've got some idolatry in there. Don't want to ignore that. It's in there. It's definitely in there, without a doubt. Marty's not going to cherry-pick verses here. we definitely got some more source A. And here we got some, we got some idolatry issues, but again, don't miss that fact that the idolatry isn't just a abstract concept. Like you're getting your worship wrong. You've chosen the wrong God. You've picked the wrong answer on the test and therefore you fail. It's that these choices have an impact on people. At least I think that's what Chronicles would tell us, but nevertheless, go ahead and jump to chapter five. You have a passage there in chapter five, correct? Uh, six. Six. Okay. Jump over to chapter six. What, what verses we got? Uh, starting in verse one. Okay. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Yehuda? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Oh, I think Jesus is going to quote that later on in his ministry. 
tells the Pharisees, go learn the meaning of this passage. Interesting, because if this was truly about, if this is just about idolatry, Brent, then that verse really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because it should be, get your worship right. Come offer the right sacrifices to the right gods. But God, in the midst of condemning them for idolatry, says, I don't, getting your worship right isn't even my main concern. My main concern is mercy. That's what I care about. Go ahead and back up and read that verse just one more time, because it's one of my favorites. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. As at Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me there. Gilead is a city of evildoers, stained with footprints of blood. As marauders lie in ambush for a victim, so do bands of priests. They murder on the road to Shechem, carrying out their wicked schemes. I have seen a horrible thing in Israel. There Ephraim is given to prostitution. Israel is defiled. Yeah. So so we have our image. Amos' image was plumb line. Hosea's image is prostitute. Uh, we definitely outlined that we've got some idolatry definitely being addressed here. And we hear this heart of God saying, I want you in right relationship with me. Because when you're in right relationship with me and you remember your role as a kingdom of what, Brent? Of priests. If you remember your role as a kingdom of priests and you remember that what I really want is mercy, not sacrifice, which is a great priestly reference. I mean, where do you do the sacrifice? Uh, in the temple. At the temple, where who works? Where the priests work. And so it's really important that the priests understand what the temple is all about. The temple is not about sacrifice. The temple is about mercy. The sacrifice is about facilitating mercy. It's all about mercy. So I need my people, God says, in right relationship with me, not committing adultery with other gods, not buying into other worldly narratives, not choosing empire, but I need my people committed to my narrative, understanding the plot of my story and my project being my partner, my wife, my spouse, so that we can go about the business of showing mercy and putting the world back together. And that was such a powerful image there with the priests. Just like marauders, bands of priests lie in ambush for a victim. Right. Wow. Yeah. They totally got the anti-story. It's it's not just like one or two priests individually taking advantage of people. It's like the whole thing is a big conspiracy and they're just waiting to take advantage of people. Right. Right. Yep. Which is obviously prophetic hyperbole, but definitely communicates the point. Like God's like, you've completely lost the plot. And that phrase is going to keep coming up over and over again in the prophets. God's people have become the anti-story. They haven't just forgotten the story. They've become the anti-story. And so Hosea, if we read some more of those chapters, is not pretty. It's not fun. It talks a lot about the destruction they're going to endure as they chose to go away from their God and to pursue other lovers and to prostitute themselves. You might even remember Numbers 15. I wear these tassels, right? Because in Numbers 15, God said, put zitziot on the conifot of your talitiot, put tassels on the corners of your garments. That way you will remember my commands and not what, Brent? And not um, remember my commands and not, I don't know. Prostitute yourselves to other gods, Uh, right? So now God calls back to this same idea and, and says, you've chosen to prostitute yourselves to other gods. But what did we see in the life of Hosea, Brent? We saw chapter one, and then we saw chapter two, which actually, and we kind of skipped it because, you know, time, the whole time thing. But in the middle of like, uh, I don't know, uh, Hosea chapter nine, ten, um, I'm going to read here out of 11. You hear that same angst that we pointed out in Hosea chapter two of this lover 
that longs for right relationship with this adulterous wife, right? And so, and so you actually read that. And in fact, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it now. Why not now? Why not now? Uh, how can I give you up, Ephraim? One of my favorite passages. I'm in uh, Hosea 11. I'm starting in verse 8. Uh, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger. I will, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will come, I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will, will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. And I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Like there's this yearning that kind of matches Hosea chapter 2. And so, and, and so you kind of even hear it foreshadowed here. But what did we learn in Hosea chapter 3? What's going to happen to this story? We kind of know how the story is going to end because of Hosea's life and how God used it. How does the story end, Brent? Uh, there will be, there's hope, there's restoration. Absolutely. One of the things we're going to find in almost every single prophet is hope. There are going to be some dark prophets. There are going to be some prophets that are super depressing to read, uh, full of uh, wrath. And I even think I've found one, maybe two, where it's pretty hard to find any hope at all. They're just pretty much bleak from beginning to end. But by and large, in almost every single prophet that we have in the Old Testament, you're going to be in the middle of some thick condemnation, some thick, thick wrath, if you will. And right in the middle, God's going to drop a hope bomb. It's going to be a little paragraph on hope. There's going to be a chapter on hope. Sometimes it will be the ending of the prophet, like we see here in Hosea, where all of a sudden there's hope because God never forsakes his people forever. In fact, he never forsakes his people at all, but he never turns his back on them forever because there's always a story of restoration and redemption. The life of Hosea, this guy who marries a, a woman who's going to be unfaithful on purpose just so that he can go take her back and love her again because that's who God is. This is the story of God and his people. It's never over because God's patience never runs dry. And I think of the redemption cycle in the book of Judges. It's just, this is who God is. He loves his people like a jealous husband loves his spouse. And so you read that in Hosea 14. Uh, let's see here. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you. I love that. Oh, I love that. Take words with you. Take words with you because word, the word of God is so powerful. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all your sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. His fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. O Ephraim, what more have I to do with I... What, 
More have I to do with idols. I will answer him and care for him. I am like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And so we we have this prophecy that ends in hope. Now, this is going to be experienced by God's people. They're going to they're going to learn their lessons in Assyria. They're going to learn their lessons in Babylon, and they're going to come back, and they're going to be restored to God, and they're going to experience this patience and this this love of God that's spoken of there. Now, I said we'd come back to chapter 2, because once they had learned this lesson in rabbinic history, once the rabbinical age of Judaism began, they started using a passage out of Hosea to be... Um, uh, to be a daily prayer that they would say to remind them of this kind of relationship and this kind of husband and this kind of God who would love them and forgive them and restore them. And so every day um, when a Jew uh, wraps their teflon, which is their phylacteries there, they have those boxes I think we've talked about before, where they wrap the leather straps around their arm and it puts a box right on their bicep closest to their heart because God told you to write his commandments on your heart and bind them to your foreheads. As they're wrapping their teflon, one of the prayers that they pray is a prayer that comes from Hosea uh, chapter 2. And I love that they chose this because it, it calls back to the desert, which is appropriate because the desert was a what for them, Brent? It was their honeymoon. It was their honeymoon, we said in the book of Numbers, because they got married where? At Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, right? And so I just love these words. Um, Therefore, this is, this is kind of God speaking through Hosea as God and or Hosea mourns for this wife who's gone astray. Uh, God or Hosea says this, therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. I will make the valley of Echor uh, a door of hope, and there she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. And that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land, so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever, God says. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and in compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And the statement is so powerful, because it doesn't talk about the faithfulness of God's people. It talks about the faithfulness of God. God says, I will betroth you. I will betrothed. I will. Uh, I will engage myself to you in compassion, in in for uh, forever, in faithfulness, in love, in mercy, in justice, and because I'm faithful, because I am faithful, God says, not because you're faithful, because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make lots of mistakes. It's not going to be your faithfulness that's going to teach you who I am. It's going to be my faithfulness. Despite your adulteries, despite your fa- your failures, despite all these things, I'm going to be faithful to that. And in that, you're going to experience. What was the word for no? Yada. Yada. We're going to see that in just a second. It's yada. You will yada. You will experience that I am the Lord. Why? Because I am faithful. 
in my faithfulness, you will know who I truly am. And so in class, we always start by saying what? We say Shema. We say the Jesus Shema, right? And uh, we say that every day. We're going to add something new now in our class. Uh, We're going to add Hosea. Before we say Shema, we're going to add that Jewish prayer to the beginning of our class. So we're going to learn that, and you're going to put, uh, you're going to post this on our Learn Hebrew link on our website, the same place we have the Shema posted. We'll be titled Verishtik. Verishtik. It's going to be under Learn Hebrew, which is in the Listen tab. Go to the Listen tab, click on Learn Hebrew, and you're going to have Shema. It's going to have it written out in transliterated English, and it's going to have an audio recording as well so that you can learn it, because when we get together in class, we're going to start with Hosea. We're going to start with God's betrothal. God's promise, and then you always respond to God's promise with Shema. And Shema is our response as God's bride. It's essentially us saying, I do. So every day we hear God say, I'm going to be faithful, and you're going to know that I'm God because you are my wife. And we respond by saying, I do. I am going to love you with all my heart. I am going to love you with all my soul. I am going to love you with all my might. And that's going to be our prayer. So the prayer that we'll end up saying is, Verashtik le'olam, Verashtik libzedek, Uva mishpat, Uva chased, Uva rachamim, Verashtik leb emunah, Veyada e'aronai. Verashtik le'olam, I will betroth you to myself forever. Verashtik libzedek, I will betroth you to myself in righteousness. Uva mishpat, and justice. Uva chased, and in love. Uva rachamim and compassion, verashtik leb emunah. I will betroth you to myself in faithfulness. Emunah is faith or faithfulness. I will betroth you to myself in faithfulness. Veyadat, you shall know, you shall experience. Veyadat et Adonai, I am the Lord. So that's going to be a prayer that we say at the beginning of every class. Hosea and then Shema. You can find that online. We'll put it in the same spot. And you'll be able to hear it there. And I'll also, for your convenience, Podrishner, I will put in the show notes for this episode. Ah, wonderful. So you scroll right down and jump right to it. Jump right to it. Fantastic. Love it. All right. So, of course, all of that is at baymodiscipleship.com. Uh, you can go to the schedule page. You can see discussion groups for Moscow and Pullman. Those are uh, ones that we participate in, but there are actually discussion groups happening all around the country. So if you scroll down to the bottom of that scheduled page, you'll find a map. So find a discussion group near you, or if you don't have one, start one up, and uh, we'll help you get, get rolling on that. So you can always get a hold of Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. You can find me at EOBCB. And thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.